Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, and welcome to the Aranax podcast and the fifth episode of this mini-series focusing on life cycle thinking. I'm Craig Eason. I'm the editor of Fathom World and the regular host of the main Aronax podcast. But with me for this series has been... Yeah, hello, Craig. My name is, uh, and everybody, my name is Rasmus Elspeth Jensen. I'm the founder and CEO of Reflow. At Reflow, we help um, maritime industry, ship owners and suppliers in getting uh, a better understanding of their emissions, uh, working with life cycle assessment. Now, in this whole series, we've been talking about the whole life cycle assessment of everything to do with sort of the transport chain. Um, but in this particular episode, we're going to look at the ship in particular, um, because last episode, Rasmus, we were looking at the fuel specifically and the complexities, particularly regulatory and definitions that are going on around that um, but here now we're going to take a look at the design of the ship how it's built what it's built with about the way the ship is run which clearly may include the fuel or the power it uses um, and even discussing the technology that goes on board and the way the ship can then be recycled so from a sort of outset here Rasmus this sounds like it is an extremely complex task well, Craig, it is and can be a very complex task. And I just want to say I really look forward to this episode because um, doing and making life cycle assessment models of vessels is really an emerging field. It has uh, life cycle assessment models have been really uh, growing in the aviation automotive industry and now also in the construction industry. But in the maritime industry, it's something completely uh, new, but we can see that it's growing super, super fast. And we can also see why it's growing. But going back to your question, Craig, about is this a complex task? And the short answer is yes, but the long answer is more on saying it depends of the goal of what you're trying to get out of the life cycle assessment. Because as you mentioned, and life cycle assessment of a vessel can include all the life cycle stages of a vessel from the construction to the operation to the fuel of its uh, its usage and then uh, life extension of the vessel if that is relevant and then to the end of life scenarios so it can be very complex but it all depends on the goals you can range from a hundred variables to a thousand variables depending on how granular uh, you really want the data to be and that is depending on the goal and that we're going to also touch base on in this um, in this episode. Well, we'll get back into, as you say, some of that sort of granularity and I've got a few questions for you about how you even start looking at that process because it sounds like an extremely daunting task but we have got another expert on hand um, who's going to be here to help us. Okay. So my name is Davy Wesselman and I work as a sustainability coordinator within uh, the Dama Shipyards Group. Um, and uh, within this role, I also focus on uh, circularity, uh, how to include circularity in the design of our vessels uh, and life cycle assessments. Um, yeah, setting up these projects to make sure we're going to do the life cycle assessments on our vessels. So 
Dewey is from Darman in the Netherlands, and uh, she kind of admits that, um, like you said, Rasmus, that this is very much in the early stages of understanding the task that is at hand. What we want to do, we're not fully do it yet, so we want to have a look at where are the materials, where are they coming from? Uh, then you have like, have for example, steel, then it's made into, have from the raw material, it's made into steel plates. Um, and then we're going to make a ship out of it. Uh, then the ship is being built uh, and it's going to the ship uh, owner. Um, and then you have the end of life. Um, and at the moment, we don't have the clear picture of the whole the whole life cycle yet. So uh, we sell we sell a vessel, and then uh, the ownership and responsibility is going towards the owner of the vessel. And what we want to do is to stay to keep that ownership and that responsibility for the whole vessel, uh, and also the end of life of the vessel, and also to make sure that in the design we think about the whole life cycle. So for the coming thirty years, what kind of Developments are there. Indeed, if you shift from uh, diesel engines to uh, more alternative fuels, how can you include, include these uh, future-proof yeah, principles in the design of the vessel? And we also need to know what is in the vessel uh, at the end of life. So how can you decommission the vessel in a, yeah, a green way? And what do you need to know to be able to do that? There are a few clients that are really proactively asking for it. So we also need to make sure that we can say uh, we can do this and uh, this is the advantage because we can advise you better uh, on the full life cycle of your vessel. So uh, also during operations, what kind of improvements should you make uh, to be like cost effective but also environmentally effective. How the, the, the industry is now organized, we have to talk about if we should adjust things. Uh, for example, if you're going to um, retrofit or repair a vessel, um, maybe the engines have to be taken out and new engines will be placed, but will, for example, the supplier of the engines, will they buy back or take back their, their engines uh, and maybe remanufacture the engines so that you can reuse it again uh, for another vessel or maybe the same vessel? Um, so, but that you keep all the components uh, in use and that you can also upgrade them during the lifetime of the vessel. So Rasmus, this must be a problem when it comes to a life cycle assessment of something like a ship where responsibilities, not just looking at the whole life cycle sort of from building design, the responsibilities are spread across many different entities, you know, from the designer, the builder, the repair yard, the recycling yard. There's the ship managers, the technology companies and the range of companies offering various services, including commercial management and crewing. There is many stakeholders involved here. Um, and again, uh, Craig, it all falls down to what is it you want to get out of the lifecycle assessment. And, and, and then it falls down to the data. You don't necessarily need to get everybody involved when you're looking at um, some of the basic life cycle assessments. Um, it is important that you get the right data in. And I think this is also where, um, where we see a lot of challenges for many stakeholders. Uh, and this could also be the ship owners, the vessel designers, the recycling yards and so on. And that is to quantify the energy consumption, the material usage and what happens to materials after, for example, decommissioning of a vessel. So I think this is really what our work with Reflow here is uh, touching a lot of base on in the beginning. And that is also because we are at the beginning of the whole life cycling uh, assessment in, in the maritime industry. So naturally, 
we have a lot of work with the value chain um, to get some better data. And that is definitely something when we do life cycle assessment of vessels that we spend quite some time on is to make it um, easier, but also to instruct all the different stakeholders in what kind of data do you actually need. But we can see after the first one, they're getting much better. And what kind of data sort of variables are there? I mean, yeah. if you're looking at the life cycle of a, of, a, of a ship, the total life cycle of the ship, and you want a picture about the design, you want to estimate something relating to the how it's built, what materials used, what kind of technology. Is everything, is the data essentially a CO2-related data, or is it some other kind of data that's a sort of, on a sort of benchmark figure, a percentage? To make the uh, life cycle assessment, it's important that we get um, data on the material that is going into the vessel, what kind of materials, and we need to get a good understanding of the energy consumption with producing the ship, if that is the, the scope. Um, and we need to really get an understanding of the logistics with the supply chain uh, that goes into building the vessel. There is a lot of transportation and that we need to break down depending on, again, the goal of the LCA, break it down into major component groups uh, or major areas of the vessel. And from that, you can break it further down into smaller component groups and then all the way down to each component on the vessel. Now, naturally, it has an advantage the higher resolution you get, but that also requires higher degree of data uh, gathering. Um, and this data is exactly on if we're doing um, a very high granularity LCA, we basically need to describe or make an LCA of the pump that's inside the vessel. So, so many times when we build these large LCA models, it can consist of 500 individuals LCAs each. And that is a, that is a complex task. And that is why um, it's not something you do very uh, easily. It can take several months to do a life cycle assessment or complete one of a vessel. I, I remember I remember when we were talking in the last episode with Anna Connor from the Maersk McKinney uh, Muller Center for Zero Carbon Shipping. I've got the name of that center right this time, I think. But she was saying also about the complexity of uh, life cycles assessments impacting other life cycle assessments yeah. how one impacts it's a cog where you get more data into one it could turn another cog even in the wrong direction yeah that's true and that's uh, what we call the consequential aspect of the life cycle assessment so if you change some fair, something in a value chain it will have consequences because many times you have what's called cascades you have something that is being used in a different industry and i think especially when you you're looking to change either the fuel that goes in um, there it's very important as we talked about in a previous episode but also if you're looking at optimizing the recycling of the vessel we need to map out so what actually is going on with the steel today is it being used for cars is it being used for uh, other things and then we need to make LCAs of those as well to figure out if we optimize and re reuse the steel and keep it inside the maritime industry will this have an effect on new building of cars in china because they used to take this recycled steel and use that for new automotive uh, uh, industry right so so these are some of the effect and the cascading and they're really entwined into each other 
Um, and that's why it can be, um, when you want to make change, LCA is a, is a good tool, but it can also get very complex. Now, another push here, of course, has been from the from the regulators, particularly here in Europe, from uh, the European Union, which has been pushing the taxonomy. We talked about the taxonomy um, in a previous episode, but there's also this notion of digital product passports, including things like batteries. And this is where surely it gets really interesting from a, that component perspective. But here's what Dewey said um, from a shipbuilder's perspective. From the EU perspective, they are really uh, like pushing towards having like these digital product passports so that you know from, for example, a battery, uh, what happened throughout the life cycle of the battery. And a vessel in the end will be like a, a big bulk of digital product passports of all the systems and components that are in there. Um, so from a, yeah, a, a component perspective, you have its own life cycle and then the vessel itself is just a, 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 yeah, a modular construction or assembly of all these different life cycles in one vessel, which might, makes it quite complex because yeah, you have like these wear and tear parts that are really have a shorter lifetime than uh, the hull itself. I think we also have to move towards, for example, uh, leasing, uh, engines or batteries uh, so that the ownership of the product itself stays with the manufacturer uh, so i yeah i believe we have to move that way first discussions are also already there for example with ours a few of our big suppliers uh, to discuss like can we do include a, a, a take back scheme or there are different business models that you can include to make for example like a lease construction so these conversations are really starting and that's a really good development I think it's now really starting that the whole life cycle thinking now really starts to uh, hit the shipbuilding industry. So I'm really happy with that. Now, of course, we have new technologies coming onto ships, new fuels, energy storage systems, batteries, fuel cells, possibly other technologies such as carbon capture systems. Now, I mentioned Anna Connor from the Maersk McKinney Muller Center for Zero Carbon Shipping, who was in the previous episode. But while I was talking to her for that episode, she started to talk to me and mentioned the issue of having multiple LCAs connected with the vessel. In particular, she focused on fuel cells. With regards to fuel cells, a lot of it depends on the materials that are used to actually produce the fuel cells themselves, right? That's one of the main constraints and one of the main kind of like high energy intensity aspects of, of fuel cells is in the manufacturing of them and, and the uh, extraction of the raw materials needed for that, right? Um, so I think what it'll do is it'll basically at some point in time, you know, shipbuilders will be able to make decisions and select uh, maybe different fuel cell technologies on the basis of their climate performance. But whether people are willing to pay for that or not is, of course, a different, uh, different dynamic, right? But for sure, there will be uh, consideration there. And I think as well, what I would love to do, Craig, is in, in time that we get life cycle thinking into the vessel construction part and into like how these vessels are being designed and, and for what operations they're being designed for. And if we can manage that, then I think then the interplay of that technology in the vessel life cycle will become more interesting for people and something that they can kind of grasp and understand how they interplay.
That's Anna Connor from the Maersk McKinney Muller Centre for Zero Carbon Shipping. And there, Rasmus, she was talking about that individual product having that individual life cycle assessment. And we heard right at the first episode that we put together um, on this topic in this mini-series from Viking Life Savings' Tim Engel Pedersen and how that company is aiming to build up um, life cycle assessment data for lifeboats. So here we're not talking about um, emissions per se, but the LCA of lifeboats, life rafts and other equipment, um, while it, the company also looks at a company-wide LCA. So this isn't even equipment that reduces the emissions from a ship, but it's an important part of the safety of a ship. Now, Rasmus, this brings me to ask you about uh, doing a digital twin of a ship. And that's something that you're now going to be doing with Scanlines, the ferry operator. We are. We have just uh, launched a, um, a project with Scanlines where we are uh, creating a digital twin of their new uh, zero direct emission uh, ferry that's currently being built in Turkey. Um, I think um, I think I think it's a very important point about the whole um, the whole idea with doing an LCA for something that is not reducing the um, the fuel on a vessel, but it's reducing uh, the emissions of the equipment on the vessel. Now, I think the whole talk about this, why that is important, and that ties into our work with Scanlines, is about there is about bringing down the emissions of the vessel in general. And I think when we talk about emissions, there is different scopes of emissions. Scope one is the direct emissions, what comes out of the uh, direct emissions from the exhaust uh, stack. And then there is the indirect emissions where something called scope three, and that's basically the entire emissions that goes into building and maintaining and scrapping the vessel. Why is that important? Well, it is really important uh, when we're looking at a project like Scanlines, where they are basically making a ferry um, running on electricity on batteries. Because once you start removing the fossil fuel for the vessel and you start decarbonizing the vessel with other technologies, well, in theory, you could call it zero emission if you're only looking at the direct emissions. But since you there is other scopes of emissions, you will also need to account for the indirect emissions. And if we call, if we look at all scopes of emissions, yeah, you might be minimizing the direct emissions from the fuel because now it's running on batteries. But that doesn't mean it is carbon neutral and there's no emissions at all. Now, the emissions in a project like this is going to change. So the emission profile of the vessel uh, is going to change in a way that certainly the emissions are no longer direct. Now they're in what you could call the embedded carbon. So it's carbon emissions that are embedded into the materials on the vessel. Now, we do know batteries um, from the whole electrical car debate that's going on has emissions and it has uh, a lot of emissions in the rare earth minerals that are being extracted um, and that's why Scanlines is really keen to know what are the emission profiles of this new zero emission ferry um, and how can they uh, document the emissions and this is where life cycle assessment and putting into a digitalized form called digital twin or digital climate twin is really useful for many ship owners because that allows them not only to look at the fuel side that many ship owners are doing today, but also look at the entire network of emissions coming from the ship itself. 
because once you start introducing emissions abatement te technologies like uh, flattener rotors, batteries, other technologies, in order to call the ship green or zero emission, you need to count for the emissions of the vessel itself because it is not without emissions, as I mentioned earlier. So these models would also provide insights into the ship owner in their decarbonization efforts, make it possible to really test new technologies in their model before they invest in them. So could it actually be that this is lowering the emissions and in what way? And in that way, these digital twins could be really, really useful and is useful. Um, but it will also down the line, help ship owners like Scanlines in their green procurement efforts. So having a life cycle uh, assessment done on their maintenance profile of all their different um, spare parts and equipment that has to be maintained will basically give Scanlines an idea of which components have the highest emissions and thus also saying these are the areas you need to focus on in order to bring down your emissions over time. So it's really something that is quite unique and it is uh, to our knowledge the first time that um, a project like this where we make these digital models is uh, is launched and we're also seeing a lot of attention from other uh, ship owners that are really following this um, very closely. Now I just want to go back to one final point from that Dewey made when I spoke to her and that's to do with the emissions picture of actually building the ship um, by her estimates and it's another estimate that I've heard elsewhere it's only about three percent of the total picture of the life cycle of a ship and I think that is a very rough estimate at the moment mm. um, but what and it actually is interesting because that three percent also is very similar to the three percent of shipping's emissions as they currently stand in the general anthropogenic, anthropogenic um, emissions in the world. But what Dewey said uh, when I asked her is about, is it worth putting all the time and money into improving that 3%? Um, and this is what she said. I fully agree that the shipbuilding part, I'm not sure if it's 2%, but it's a quite uh, a small impact on the whole life cycle of the vessel. I, I fully agree with that uh, because, yeah, 30 years compared to a one and a half year building. But in the design, you decide like 80% of the vessel, how it should look like. So you have quite a big impact in the design and also to think about how can we make it for the coming 30 years a relevant ship. That's the impact you can have. So um, also with all the uh, alternative fuels, there's not always one solution and who knows what we will do in 30 years. So try to think about that already in the design I think that's really important. So yeah, I fully agree that it might be only a small percentage, but still we uh, it's part of uh, part of the life cycle. And uh, no, if you look at what we do, uh, what kind of conversations we now have with our steel suppliers is just asking them, do you know how much percentage recycled steel is already in there? Just to have that, like if you look from a raw material perspective, at least that we know X amount is uh, raw materials and X amount is already reused steel. Because, yeah, there are some, like, I don't know from top of my mind, but there are some studies that show that if you uh, recycle steel, it's the impact is way less than making the raw material into steel. So these are just the first conversations and we don't have the full picture yet. 
for aluminium, for example, we're now looking at a supplier that is already really proactively including a lot of recycled aluminium uh, in it. Um, so no, we definitely haven't uh, had a talk with all of our suppliers yet. Yeah, so this was really interesting from Dewey uh, talking about the materials and, and the different ways you can optimize the vessel uh, life cycle looking at other types of materials. And I think uh, going back just to talk about the 3% of the total picture of the life cycle emissions of a ship is from the uh, shipbuilding process. I would say um, that all depends of the operational profile and the type of vessel. Um, we see that this is a different number when we talk about passenger ship. We see a different number when we talk about cruise industry. We see a different number when it's tugboats. And that's simply because the utilization of the vessel, how many hours it's running a day on what types of fuel versus the entire life cycle, uh, the maintenance of the vessel really plays in here. And I think that's really important. Also, when you talked about the the um, the GHG total emissions in the world, we saw numbers three, we saw numbers 4%, that that is uh, what shipping is responsible for. And I think what is really important to mention here, that those numbers, to my knowledge, is originating from direct emissions. So that is estimated based on the fuel usage of the shipping fleet. That means it does not account for uh, new technologies, batteries, it does not account for the whole life cycle of these vessels. So this is really, there is a gray number to these 3%. And that is something that we hope that life cycle assessment can be part of um, really putting a number on it. But going back to the materials, there is a lot of um, lot of activity going on right now into looking to recycle the aluminum, looking into green steel. Um, and that's because uh, now we have made several LCAs of vessels and we can see that the steel production or the steel that goes into the whole construction of the vessel has a very large contribution to the entire emissions profile of the construction phase. So if we're able to incorporate recycled materials into this, or even thinking modular, so we're able to reuse whole parts of the hull to new ships, this is where we can really save a lot of emissions. And it's a really interesting thing. And I'm very pleased that a shipyard like Daman is already focusing on this. Coming to the end of this episode but next episode is the sixth and final of this mini series and here Asmus and I will be looking into the future and where better than with a friend of ours Christopher Rex head of innovation and research at Danish ship finance who's been quite outspoken in the past about the structural changes facing our industry. So, so understanding that, that these large-scale effects combined with the climate agenda is changing the underlying demand scale of the, of the shipping industry is quite, is, is quite vital. But when we combine it with the fact that in, in the past we had a large focus on, on labor costs, for example, so a lot of the the outsourcing of production from, let's say, Western economies towards the Asian economies, in particular China, this was largely a question about labor cost. Today, I think the next the next labor cost of this will be, will be emissions. So we will begin to see that production will be more regionalized and more localized when the combination of a, a renewable energy and, and, and the ability to reduce 
carbon emissions on local production goes hand in hand, allowing a, a much more regionalized production environment across many different ship segments uh, and commodity uh, commodity groups. We have already seen it. We had uh, in, in some of the some of the latest reports we have been publishing. We we had an example of of how BMW was relocating the production of carbon fibers to a location where they had a, a very very high access to low price renewable energy, allowing them to produce uh, something that is that is quite costly, but because of the energy cost and because of the environmental footprint, certainly it began to make sense to relocate the production. I think we will see many more of these these trends going forward, clearly heavily impacting the, the, the civilized container vessels. So that was Christopher X talking to me about the future of shipping. And he, of course, will be our guest in the final episode with Rasmus and I talking about life cycle thinking. So that's it for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and go onto the Fathom World website and check out the articles we've got there and subscribe to our regular newsletter. And of course, Rasmus, everybody should go to the Reflow yeah. website. Exactly. Feel free to go into the Reflow website, uh, re-flow.io, and check out the um, the different stories we have on li applied lifecycle assessment. But also in there, you can read more about our very exciting digital twin project with Scanlines and see if you can get some inspiration. And also, you can catch me on the website. There is a chat function there. And look forward to um, to our next exciting episode with Christopher Rex. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.